Alright, so Genesis chapter 32, and Genesis chapter 32 I think is an extremely interesting passage. i got a lot that I want to cover in here, but I do want to put out a disclaimer at the beginning of this chapter. This is a kind of a head-scratching chapter a little bit, and so understand a lot of what I'm going to, or how I'm going to interpret a lot of this, it is somewhat based on speculation in my opinion. You will get some of that in this message, and so I'm just putting that out there. Because at the end of the day, what we're seeing here are literally just the facts of what happened. But the facts of what happened cause all of us to ask a lot of questions. And so, um, you know, I think it's okay for us to speculate as long as our speculation doesn't, you know, contradict something else that's in the Bible. And so there will be some of that in this message. And so I just want to make sure you all understand that. Uh, and, and the way I'm preaching that is just this is going to be just kind of based on uh, what I'm seeing here in my opinion, and of course, I always think my opinion's right, but I might not be too. So anyway, verse 1 says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host, and he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now, this is interesting because remember how we left off in chapter 31, Jacob, is, you know, he, got, he parts ways with Laban. We see how he kind of snuck away. Laban ends up finding him, catching him, and they end up, you know, kind of leaving on somewhat friendly terms, but agreeing to just go their separate ways. And so Jacob now is on a journey away from Laban, who there's kind of some hard feelings there, and on his way back home, where he's going to have to face Esau, his brother, someone else that he wronged 20 years ago. Jacob has had a pretty bad history so far. He's had bad relationships. He's done a lot of sneaky underhanded things and so it's all kind of coming to a head now and so here we are in chapter 32 and as he's heading back i think this is just cool here a host of angels meet him now folks that's pretty neat isn't it now again an important thing that we ought that you should do whenever you're studying your bible is when we read it when you're studying your bible always try to read that book of the Bible, like you were the person that it was written to. Okay, Now, who was the book of Genesis written to? It was written to Israel when they were getting ready to enter into the promised land. That's when Moses had the, the, uh, gave those five books. It was when they were about to enter the promised land. So think about this. They're reading about their history from hundreds of years before, how they got started, their origin, as they're about to enter this land that's new to them, a land that they've never seen before. And they have these wonderful stories here about how their ancestor, Jacob, Israel, how he got his name Israel, which is who they are of. And it's a pretty cool thing that when their ancestor, when he went into this land that they were about to possess, he got met by a host of angels. Now, wouldn't that be pretty cool if in our history... Say as Americans, you know, we were taught, you know, there was some story that we could look back to when like George Washington or something was getting ready to go fight this battle, you know, against the British, how he ends up meeting up with some angels or something like that. Would we not go nuts over a story like that as Americans? Yeah, you know, because it just kind of shows we got this great history. God's in our side. Now, we don't have any stories like that, but we love it if we did. And they had a story like that. And I think, you know, I think this is pretty neat. A host, but the thing is, the Bible just, it just tells us that happened. It doesn't tell us why. It doesn't 
it, it, it doesn't mention the significance of it anywhere in this passage, but I personally believe that this is a big deal. Jacob coming back. Jacob, who's not a good guy. Jacob coming back to this land. It's a big deal, not because of Jacob, not because of Israel, but because of Jesus. Something that we forget when we're studying the book of Genesis and when we're studying the whole Bible and the Old Testament, it is not about the Jews. It's about Jesus. Okay? We need to get that in our head. We've got to get this dispensational, just Jew-worshipping stuff out of our head. The Jews were not the big deal. Jesus is the big deal. And the Jews battered because it was through them that God was going to bring the Messiah into the world. Now that the Messiah has come, why are we making a big deal about the Jews? Instead of making the big deal about the reason the Jews were a big deal. We should be focusing on Jesus we should be looking at all of this and be like paying attention to the fact that not that this is Jacob, not that he's the father of the Jews, but this is where the Messiah is going to come from. Okay, so keep that in mind. So this was, it was a big deal when this took place. And it would be a, a, a very neat thing for Israel when they're reading this, about to go into this land to read about Jacob when he was heading back to that land. It would be a big deal for them. He'd, he'd been gone for 20 years. And so... Another thing I want to do, too, to, if I may use a very carnal illustration that most of you will love, all right? How many like time travel movies? All right, okay. Hey, everybody loves a good time travel movie, right? Just kind of bends your mind and everything. Okay, now, let me illustrate it this way. What if you, you know, somehow found yourself back in time? And don't act like you've never thought about this before. We all think about this stuff, okay? You found yourself back in time... And you, you know, if you went back, let's say, you know, even, even just before you were born, you know, who would you want to see? Who would you want to meet? Who would you pay attention to? You know, your parents, right? And wouldn't it be, you know, what if while you were back in time, it turned out through some events and things that were going on, you know, you saw your mom and dad, okay? And, and I hate, you know, remember Back to the Future, how he kind of found himself in a place where... He's like trying to help his mom and dad get together. Now, why did he do that? Well, because what happened with them was going to affect his future. Okay, I, mean, I feel terrible even using this illustration, but you all know what I'm talking about, okay? But, at, you know, at the same time, you know, we would all do the same thing too, wouldn't we? And imagine if we went back hundreds of years and you knew who your great, 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 great grandparents were. And you met them, and you found that situation where maybe somebody was trying to kill your great 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 grandma. And what would you do, man? We got to we got to save her, otherwise I'm never going to be born. And then you intervene, you save her life, and it turns out you know you played a part in your own history. Okay, and and then these people to them it would be like you know why are we a big deal? Okay, you know why why are we a big you know your great 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 grandma? Why am I a big deal to you? Because. You play a part in my future. If you don't exist, or if you die, I never exist. So think about this. Jesus descended from Jacob, didn't he? So understand, when God, who declares the end from the beginning, is having these interactions with Abraham and Jacob and people like that, I mean, these are the people that he's going to come from physically, doesn't Isn't that the case? 
And did he not play a role and lead them and guide them and direct them to make sure certain things took place? Why did God have his hand on everything that was going on with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of Israel? Why did he have his hand on them so much? Because what happened to them determined what was going to happen with him in the future. He made a promise that he was going to come through them. So you better believe God who inhabits eternity, was stepping into this earth on a regular basis and making sure he guided and directed the affairs to make sure the outcome took place that needed to happen. So I think you all get this too, because I'm sure you've watched time travel movies. And in a a weird way, that's kind of like what God was doing, wasn't it? Because God sees the end from the beginning. And so we see God stepping in in these people's lives. And it's not because, again, they were so special, but because of the fact that they were where he was going to come from. And that was important, not so much for God, but for us. It was absolutely necessary for us that the Messiah come and that, of course, that it happens the way God said it was going to happen. So does everybody get that? I mean, so this is the way I'm looking at the story right here. And, you know, uh, I, I, think it's kind of, I think it's kind of cool. Especially the fact, too, we're going to see a wrestling match between Jacob and Jesus. And it wouldn't be cool if you went back in time. And, you know, to make things happen the way you need to, you got in a wrestling match with your great-great-great-grandfather. It, isn't that what happens in every time travel movie? They go back and they see their ancestors? It, that's that's in a, in a way that's kind of like what we're seeing here, isn't it? You know, because again, I get it. You know, God didn't go back in time or anything like that, but He did come into this earth. You know, knowing full well what the future was going to be, and affecting things. So when I read this, you know, and I when I was when I think about these things and meditating these things, I, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's I think it's a pretty awesome story. So look at verse three, and we'll get back to. Uh, the wrestling match here pretty soon. But it says, And Jacob sent messengers uh, before him to Esau's brother under the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau, Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I might find grace in thy sight. So Jacob knows he was in the wrong He's trying to avoid a major conflict. Because 20 years ago, when Jacob saw Esau last, remember what Esau said? I'm going to kill Jacob. So so Jacob leaves. This is why he goes to Laban. One, to find a wife. But two, to get away from his brother Esau. So there's been 20 years now that Esau's had to sit and stew about this. And now it's time for Jacob to go back. And he is concerned, and rightfully so. So in verse 6, it says, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Now, I'm speculating, but Jacob goes and you know does a wise thing, and he's got all these animals and things he's going to give them. He's wanting to get the message to Esau that he's coming, but he's coming in good favor. He's coming with gifts. So hopefully you know his brother won't want to kill him. But then these messengers go ahead to just kind of tell them so he can find out what their reaction is going to be. And then all they tell him, he's coming to meet you and he's got 400 men with him. Now, 
Esau had to know that was going to freak Jacob out a little bit. Maybe he was like, you know, I'm not going to do anything to him, but I'm going to at least let him think I'm going to. I'm going to get some kind of vengeance here. And so it says, And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. And he said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which says unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, in my opinion, I think this is when Jacob got saved. Because notice here, he's talking about his transgressions. He's talking about what he's done wrong. And he goes and he's calling out to God. He's dependent on God right now. And he mentions the words of God and how he promised that he was going to make his seed like the sand of the sea that cannot be numbered. Now, the re- one of the main reasons, too, I think that he got saved here is Genesis 15, verse 5. When Abraham got saved, it says, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So if Abraham was accounted righteousness when he believed that God was going to multiply him as the sand of the sea, it would kind of make sense that Jacob would be accounted righteous when he believed that God was going to number him as the sand of the sea. At a time, too, when it looks like he's he's thinking, I'm probably going to die. At a time when he finds out, I've got my brother who who wanted to kill me. He's got 400 men with him. He's going to come take my life. And what does he do? He calls out to God and claims the promise of God that he would make his seed as the stars of them. So this is personally at least somewhere in the story. Maybe it was after the wrestling match, but I believe it was somewhere in the story where Jacob got saved. It's, always, it's often hard to pinpoint the location of when people got saved in the Bible, but in my opinion, uh, this is when it was for Jacob. And so, uh, and, and we don't see as much really, you know, that I know of any underhanded stuff with Jacob anymore. You know, after that too, where we saw a lot. I mean, it's pretty much been all underhanded stuff up to this point. And so, I uh, said, this is kind of my opinion on that. So, Jacob's in a tough spot here. You know, he knows he's in trouble. He knows he's done a lot of wrong. He knows if he goes forward, he has Esau to deal with. If he goes backwards, he's got Laban. These are both people that he's wronged. He's in a bad spot right here. So in verse 13, he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau's brother. 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels and their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals, and he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass on over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When ye saw my brother, meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's, 
It is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us, and so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you find him. So this was actually a very wise thing to do. Because you know the Bible says in Matthew five twenty five, agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art away with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer. And thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Whenever you have, when you've wronged somebody, the earlier you make things right, the better. The longer you wait, the more hard feelings, the harder it's going to be for them to get over it. The more likely you're going to, you know, it's going to be that you're going to have a big battle on your hands. You're going to have a big fight. So you know, whatever you can do. To make things right soon, that's the best way to do things. Because, you know, that bitterness, it does. It, it can get out of hand, and then you can't get forgiveness. And you know what? You're in a bad spot when people won't forgive you, especially when you were wrong. And you don't get to, <clears throat> you don't get to pull out the, well, you should be forgiving card. And then make them the bad person for not forgiving you when you were the one that did the wrong. You know, you need to just pray and hope that they're forgiving Pray and hope that they're merciful. And if they're not, that stinks for you. And it stinks for them too. You know, it's bad for them too, but you're you're still in trouble too. So you don't want to wait, you don't want to put things off. When you do somebody wrong, you know, get it right. So uh, you know, Jacob didn't do that, you know, he waited twenty years, but at least he's thinking now, before Esau sees my face, anything I can do to calm him down. So he's letting him know, and he makes sure the first thing he's going to see is just all these cattle, all these wonderful gifts that he has for him, and surely that will calm him down. So he tells the people that are in the front. Of course, he leaves himself in the back. We see later in the story, in the next chapter, we're going to see how he put his handmaids and their children in the front, and then I think it was uh, Leah's first, and then Bilhah, and then Leah and her kids, and then Rachel. And her kids, just kind of showing favoritism. It's like, you know, if they're going to get three of my wives, you know, I hope it's, you know, Bill, Zilpha, and Leah, not Rachel. That couldn't have done any good for the marriage, right? Marriages right there. But again, that's uh, why so you don't have multiple wives. But, it, uh, you know, that we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But anyway, so, and then two, again, you know, it was wise to go and meet him in the most unintimidating way possible. Because he was wrong. And, you know, Proverbs 15 once says, A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. Often just how you approach somebody, how you talk to somebody, determines how they're going to react to you. And Jacob's wanting a good reaction from Esau. Part of it's because he's scared. But at the same time, too, it's clear here, I don't know how many people or two bands are, but at the same time, there's a lot of people here. You know, I like, you know, think he probably could have put up a pretty good fight and maybe won, but I don't think he wanted to have that fight. I don't think he wanted to lose any people. I don't think he wanted to kill his brother. And I don't think he especially wanted to do it considering the fact that he was the one that was in the wrong before. So this is all good stuff that he's doing here. And so in verse 20, it says, And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company, 
And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the four Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook, and he sent over that he had. Now, when we go into the next part of the story, said, remember, Jacob's at a very low point. He's at great fear. You know, he's he's thinking, we got a conflict coming. Okay? Now, I, he believes God's going to multiply him. I think he knows he's not going to be utterly destroyed, but he's got contingency plans. He's got plans where at least some of them will escape. Because God's got to make of him a great nation. You know, Esau can't kill all of them, but obviously he doesn't want to lose any of them. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't want to die himself, but he is at a very low point here. And, you know, you would think, since at the beginning of this chapter, he got met by a host of angels, you would think that up your confidence level a little bit. As you're entering this land, you're greeted by a host of angels. Be like, you know, I think, I think we're going to be all right. I think this is going to be, you know, we would, we would be pretty excited about the, you know, future of our church on the ninth anniversary if when we have our first service, we like go in there and like a bunch of angels showed up. It's like, I think God's in on this. <laughs> you know, that's probably, you know, we, that, that's the attitude we would have. We saw something like that. So you'd think he'd be pretty confident right here, but you know, he's, He's still in great fear, and then he gets ready to have the face-off with God. And this was God that he meets. It says in Genesis 35, 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. So remember, he had seen him before. This wasn't the story here, but back when... uh, he was uh, fleeing from his brother Esau. Remember, he went to Bethel and he met God there. So he knew who he was. You know, he knew what he looked like. You know, so we need to keep that in mind because this story gets a little confusing when, when I'm reading it. Okay, so notice what we see here in verse 24. So this is why I think that Jacob probably realized, you know, who he was wrestling with. Because it just goes into verse 24, and it says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Okay? And this is interesting because the Bible does not tell us what led up to this wrestling match. It's like all of a sudden, here we have Jacob wrestling with a man, and this man turns out to be God. But does anybody ever wonder why they start wrestling? You know, And, then, and we're going to see in the story that you know, Jacob uh, you know, demands a blessing. Well, I was but how how did that start? You know, did it? You know, did you know? I just I picture Jacob just getting off by himself and just kind of up on a hill with the I see a silhouette, the sunset behind it. You know, and it's the Lord standing there. So, and it's like you know, in my head, because the Bible doesn't tell us what led up to the wrestling match. For whatever reason, they just charge each other. You know, <laughs> and start wrestling. But Jacob obviously knows who this is because he's demanding a blessing of him. You know, most of us don't just meet a stranger, start fighting with them, and then ask him to bless him. You know, I I don't know why the Bible doesn't tell us all those details. I like you know I like to know you know how it started, what happened, but it just goes right into the wrestling match. And so notice what it says in verse twenty-five. So they're wrestling until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, this is God not prevailing against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, 
and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So he keeps going. It says, and he said, let me go, God speaking here, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Okay, now, because this passage just kind of leaves so many questions, you know, this is the type of passage that somebody can just come along and start teaching weird stuff, you know? Because it's like you read that and it's like, why was God so anxious to get out of there because of the breaking of the day? Because he's not able to be out, you know, the sunlight can't hit him or something like that, you know? I mean, you can go into weird stuff like that, but I, I, I personally believe the reason he mentioned that here is just because they had been fighting a long time. Okay? And so it's just like, he's basically saying, let go of me. It's almost morning. You know, and we're still fighting with each other, and neither of us are wanting to give up. Okay? And so I think he's just basically saying, we've done this long enough. Let go of me. And so uh, he says, I'm not going to go. let you go except thou bless me. And that does. That just seems like a weird reason to wrestle. I want to know what led up to this wrestling match. You know, did Jacob see him get excited because he knew who he was? And then maybe, you know, Lord started to leave and he chases him down. No, wait a minute. I need your blessing. I'm about to go meet up with my brother Esau. I'm about to go back to this land. I need a blessing from you right now. Maybe that's what it was. Because we see these blessings were very important to him back then. We, you know, he knew who this was, so he's wanting this blessing, and he's just, you know, it's, and this is what I, what I, what I think happened. I think the Lord is like, no, Jacob, I'm, I'm going to go. Jacob grabs a hold of him. Before you know it, they're fighting, and he's, they're not, they're not letting go. They're not giving in. But then Jacob ends up winning the wrestling match. Now, how do you win a wrestling match against God? How do you do that? I mean, Jacob was determined. I mean, he he put his thigh out of joint, but he will not. He would not let go. He was not going to let go. You know, did Jacob have some kind of superpowers here? You know, what what's going on? And so, uh, notice what it says in verse uh, twenty-seven. And he said unto him, "What is thy name?" And he said, "Jacob." And he said, "Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel." For as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. It's like, you beat me. You know, you beat me. We're not going to call you Jacob anymore. You know, you're not going to be that supplanter anymore. Now your name is Jacob. You be, why? Because you have power, or Israel, you have power with God. You have prevailed. This is what you're going to be called from here on out. And hopefully, I, th- I think God did this to him too, giving him confidence going forward. Because before, when he leaves Laban, he's Jacob the supplanter. When he's on his way back to Esau, he's Jacob the supplanter. A guy who supplanted Esau. But now, he's not Jacob the supplanter anymore. Now, he's Israel, a man who has power with God and who's prevailed. And I think it's God's way of giving him confidence. Jacob, you're going to be okay. Or Israel, you're going to be okay going forward. And so... You know, while God, and so, you know, how was Jacob able to beat him here? You know, because it, I mean, we take this literal, Jacob got in a wrestling match with God and won. How does that happen? Well, while God is all powerful, God often gives us power over him in certain areas, doesn't he? For example, we see Moses changing God's mind. We see Moses changing God's will. We see Moses getting God to repent of the evil that he was going to go to do 
due to Israel. Do we not see that with Moses and God? Moses had great power with God. You know what I mean? He had had great power. He had great influence with God. There were men in the Bible that had such great, they had such a close relationship with God that they literally would move God. They would affect what God would do. We see in prayer that God wants us to influence Him. God wants us to wear Him out. Remember the parable of the woman who wore out that ruler, that wore out that unjust king. God wants us to do that with Him. God wants us to get in contest with Him and wrestle Him, figuratively speaking, when it comes to getting our prayers answered. God wants us to do that. He wants us to want things. He wants us to fight for things and work for some things. And while often, you know, maybe it's not God's will in some areas, sometimes God changes His mind with people. Why? Because they have power with Him because they fight for things. He's like, well, I beat God then. Well, understand, if He beat you, it's because He chose to level the playing field. And so I personally think that's what happened. I think when God, you know, you know, and I, I believe this is what they call a Christophany, a, an appearance, Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. I think when he showed up this time, he showed up in a way where he limited himself, in a sense, to where it was going to be a fair fight. And Jacob won. I, I, I literally believe that when he was fighting Jacob, he was tired. I think when they got done fighting, you know, he was huffing and puffing and breathing hard and dirty and, you know, maybe bruised up some. It's like, you won. That, that, that's personally what I believe about this right here. And so uh, Jacob asked him, he says uh, in verse 29, and Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask thee after my name? And he blessed him there. And isn't it interesting that God doesn't tell him his name right here? He's just like, Why are you asking my name? But he blesses him there. Okay? He ends up giving Jacob what you want. Hey, we wrestled for the blessing. Not for that information of my name. Okay? And so you're not getting you're not getting bonus, alright? Otherwise we're going to do this again. I'll put your other thigh out of joint. But in Exodus chapter six, verse three, I think this is interesting. It says, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Okay? Now let me ask you. When God was speaking here in Exodus 6, and He said, I appeared to you, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but by my name Jehovah, I was not known unto them. Is this a different God than the God that appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No, it's the same God, isn't it? Same God. Okay? But when God has revealed Himself to Israel, He gives them... More information, doesn't he? He tells them his name. This was something Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know. Now, his name is of Jehovah has been revealed to the children of Israel. They know something about God that their fathers didn't know. But it's the same God, isn't it? Okay? Now, keep that in mind. And so, because remember, very little was known about God during their days. But when they believed God, when they trusted in His salvation, they were believing in Christ. They were believing, you know, in the source of salvation. And they didn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, so, but at the same time, though, just because that hadn't been revealed yet, 
Just because more information was revealed, does that make it a new gospel? Does that make it a new God? They didn't know him by the name Jesus during the children of Israel's day, did they? But we know that now, don't we? We now know about the Son of God in a way they didn't know. Why? Because through the dispensations, in a literal sense, in a biblical sense, a dispensation, it's a distribution. God throughout time has revealed more about himself. He's revealed more about his plan of salvation, but it's always been the same God. It's always been the same salvation. God did not become a new God when Israel learned the name Jehovah, and he didn't become a new God when they learned the name Jesus. It's still the same God. And, it, and the same salvation that saved Jacob is the salvation that saves us. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the high priest, according to the book of Hebrews, when he went in and, and he put his blood on that mercy seat in heaven, he did that once for all, and it specifically mentions those from the past and those in the future. So understand the salvation that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob got is the same salvation you and I got. It was purchased on the cross of Calvary by the blood of Jesus Christ. When they believed God, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, show me where it says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. I don't have to. I can show you here where they believed in the Lord God Almighty. Are you saying that's not Jesus? I can see where they show you where they believed in the Lord Jehovah. You saying that's not Jesus? Okay, it's just there are things, there's more that we learn over time. But the dispensationalists, if they were consistent in their interpretation, we've got a new God from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the Exodus. But we all know it's the same God. And according to dispensations, they're going to be consistent. We've got a new God when we get to the New Testament and Jesus is born. If the dispensations are going to be consistent, we've got a new God when Jesus Christ comes back and he rules and reigns on this earth. You know, but the thing is, when Jesus Christ comes and rules and reigns on this earth, y'all understand, we're going to look at Jesus differently during that time. We're going to know more about him during that time. And things will be different then. But it will be the same Jesus Christ. It will be the same God. And then in the, after the millennial kingdom, one of these days, we are going to see the face of God the Father. When that happens, we're going to know even more about God. More will be revealed. But you know what? The God that will be revealed in the millennium, when we see his face in a way that's not going to be like it was with Jacob here, who says, I've seen the face of God and live. Okay? He saw the face of Jesus, of God the Son, in his appearance here. But one of these days, we're going to see God in all his glory. And when that day comes... We will know so much more than we do now, so much more than Jacob knew then, but guess what? Same God. The same God that we're looking forward to seeing there in the future is the same one that Jacob wrestled with right here. But he only got to see a little part of what God is. Because you don't get to see the full picture and survive. Not in our carnal state that we're in right now, so I, I think that's pretty exciting. And so this is not God becoming another God. God does not do that every time new information is revealed. Every time we learn a little more about salvation, it does not become a new gospel. 
And so don't fall for that line. Show me death, burial, and resurrection in the Old Testament. Even though you can show the death, burial, and resurrection in the Old Testament. Even though 1 Corinthians says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Even though their favorite verse that proves the Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection says that it's the death, burial, and resurrection according to the Scriptures. Referring to the Old Testament. But wait, I don't see the words death, D-A-A-T-H, burial, B-U-R-I-A-L, and I don't see all those together in the Old Testament. I don't see it saying in the Old Testament, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But how can you say they weren't believing on the Lord Jesus Christ when they believed in God Almighty? Since that turns out to be the Lord Jesus Christ. It just hasn't been revealed yet. So that's a stupid argument. And they bring it up all the time. And then people are like, oh man, they're right. No, you don't know the Bible. You don't understand common sense, okay? And and I and another way to illustrate it too, you know, I'm, just a month ago, you know, if we would talk about the baby that's my wife is carrying right now, we call it the baby. Now you might hear us refer to it as Hannah, okay? Why? Because we had another dispensation. It was revealed to us that it's a girl. So you know what? We've chosen a name. So if one of you, if we had a rucktard in this church, they would come and be like, your wife's pregnant with a different baby right now? Before you were calling it the baby, now you're calling it Hannah. You know, that's a different baby. How did that happen? No, you're a rucktard. Okay, and one of these days, when that baby is born, we're going to see it. We're going to know more about it. You know, it's gonna, you know we're going to receive another dispensation. It's going to be the same one that we were talking about before and referring to it as just the baby. It's the same one. So that argument does not hold water. That argument is foolish. It's absolutely foolish and vain. And that's why, you know, we don't believe people who, anybody who teaches multiple gospels, say, let them be accursed. Okay? Let them be accursed. There's only one gospel. There's only one way of salvation. And it's interesting, really enough, people who believe in multiple gospels believe they got saved by faith plus works in the Old Testament. Even though the Apostle Paul proved salvation was without works by referring back to Abraham. You know, and, that, and the fact that they even think anyone was ever able to get saved by their works shows they don't understand sin, they don't understand salvation. That's all there is to it. So uh, we, I, I do strongly believe that anybody who teaches multiple Gospels or faith plus works in the Old Testament dispensation is not saved. Uh, that's all there is to it. So, verse 30. It says, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And he passed over Peniel, and the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. So he's got like a tendon here that has shrunk on his thigh, now making it where he doesn't walk right. He's got, he's got a limp. Now, because of this, Jacob's got this limp that he's going to have for the rest of his life. Now, why would God do this to him? You ever thought about that? Why, you know, why did God do this? I mean... It's a wrestling match. The guy just wants a blessing and he goes and he injures him in a way where he's going to limp for the rest of his life. 
Well, this is you know what I personally believe. Well, first off, you know, if I was Jacob, I'd kind of be proud of it. You know, and people ask, how'd you get that limp? You know, I got in a fight with God. <laughs> and you know what? I won. <laughs> that's, you know, that's what I'd be telling people. But think about this, though. He walks around with this limp for the rest of his life. You know, and I personally reason, believe the reason God did that because notice they have this custom here where they don't eat of the sinew that shrank because of what happened with Jacob. You know, this, every time Jacob's walking around with this limp, you know what his kids all probably asked him? Dad, why are you limping? And you know what he did? He told them about God. Whenever his grandkids came along, Grandpa, why are you limping? Guess what Jacob's going to do? He's going to tell them about God. He's going to tell them about the source of salvation. He's going to tell them about Jesus. And I do. I believe that this was an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. This was Jesus who steps outside of eternity, comes down to this earth, and meets up with his great-great-great-great-grandfather and directs him on a path that ultimately will lead to Jesus Christ being born and bringing that salvation to the world. He wanted Jacob telling his kids and his grandkids about God, about the one who is going to be bringing salvation because Jesus is going to come through them. And that's why they were a special people. That's why it was a big deal when they came to town. These angels, they're excited and they're showing up because they understand this is where the Messiah is going to come from. You know, whenever the multitude of the heavenly hosts showed up in Luke chapter 2 in the shepherd's field, you know why they? You know why it was a big deal? It wasn't a big deal because of Joseph and Mary. It was a big deal because of Jesus. It was a big deal because of who the baby was. Who knows? Maybe this was the same host that showed up to meet Jacob. You know, years and years before. I don't know. I'm just assuming. I'm just speculating here. But this is this is a big deal. This is a great story because this, you know, the, the focus of these things needs to be Jesus Christ. He's the focus. He's what we're looking at. And it, it, it blows.